Please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Philippians. Today we are in Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. This is Paul's letter, Paul's letter of joy, as we'll talk about here in just a little bit. It was written from prison. Paul was in prison when he wrote, um, likely Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. Um, And uh, in light of that, uh, he is writing to correct some issues that he sees in Philippians, mainly uh, conflict among some of the members there. And um, as he's wrapping up uh, his letter to this book, he says these words beginning in Philippians chapter four. Hear the word of the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, With thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, Put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, Whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, you have promised that you draw us close to you through prayer, through the sacraments, and through the reading and teaching of your word. And so, Lord, as we look at these words today, I do ask that you would guide us, that you would lead us to holiness, and that you would help us to see the joy and glory of knowing you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were to go through the book of Philippians and look for a key word to try and figure out what the theme that Paul was seeking to teach, the, the theme is joy or rejoicing. The, that, those two words, either joy or rejoice, show up multiple times throughout this short letter. And even as he's dealing with the difficulties of the conflict there within the, the church in Philippi, He calls the Christians to be joyful. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, we have the foundation of that joy, and it is the work of Jesus, who did not think equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on flesh, taking on the form of a servant to become obedient, obedient unto death, so that we could worship God, so that the name of God, the name of Jesus, would be on the lips of every human being, as a worship, as a praise. And so in light of this salvation that we have been given through the work of Jesus, we are called over and over in the book of Philippians to be joyful, to be joyful in trial, to be joyful in struggle, to be joyful in those mountaintop times where life is good. Well, what struggles, what trials would Paul be calling the Philippians to joy in the midst of? Well, number one, as I mentioned already, Paul is in prison as he writes this 
this book. And we'll talk a little bit about that as we move forward. But for the Philippian Christians, they would have suffered persecution. They would have suffered possible loss of income as they as they proclaim Jesus is Lord rather than Caesar is Lord. And they would have been working hard in their cities to love their neighbors well. And in the passage we are considering today, this passage as Paul begins to wrap up and give his exhortations, his commands in light of the work that Jesus has done. We will look that Paul calls them that they find joy in the midst of their circumstances as he calls them to be joyful, to be thankful, and to be content. First, Paul calls them to be joyful. As Paul opens up this call in today's passage, he says, rejoice in the Lord always, and I will say it again, rejoice. We almost get a sense here that that Paul, as he's writing this letter, have you ever written a letter or an email or a private message to somebody and you've, you've written out a sentence and you just stop to think and you go, is that, is that really how, what I want to say? Is that really how I want to express what I am saying here? And that's the feeling we get as Paul writes. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And then it's almost as he stops. Is that really what I want to tell these people in the midst of their struggles in the midst of their conflict, I want to call them to rejoice. And then he goes, yes, absolutely. In fact, it's what I want to say so much that I'm going to call them to it again. Rejoice. Rejoice is the command to be joyful. Now, Paul is not calling them to happiness. Happiness oftentimes is a reactive emotion. We are happy based on what is happening to us. Joy is something more than what we re- and then to is something more than how we react to the world around us. It is something that in, is rooted in something solid and in something true. Have you ever been headed to vacation and suddenly the trip just all of a sudden got difficult? Maybe you got a flat tire, or a kid gets sick in the back of the van, or something happens that just makes that three or four hour trip turn into an eight or a 10 or a 12 hour trip. And it's hard, isn't it? As you see, as you try to go through these things, but there's still, even in the difficulty, there's still a sense of anticipation, a sense of peace, which we'll get to a little bit later, but a a sense of hope and anticipation that's all kind of wrapped up into an almost happy feeling, but not quite happy feeling as you're dealing with the frustrations of the car or the kids or the things like that. That's that sense of joy. That's that sense of hope that you have because you know that no matter how bad things are going, you're still going to get to that place where you want to be. You're still going to get to that vacation spot where once you get there, you can finally just kind of rest and relax and find that that peace, that contentment that you've been looking for. That's what Paul is calling him to. Paul has reminded them throughout the beginning of the letter that they have a hope. They have a a sure and a solid future. And because of that, they can have this sense of hope, this sense of peace, this sense of contentment in whatever happens to them. This joy, no matter what happens, whether it is joy found in the the times of, of peace and tranquility in life or whether it's joy in the times of difficulty and struggle in life. Paul gives them his own example, which later on he calls them to follow. 
as he's writing the letter earlier in the letter, he's talking about being in prison and how he has joy as he is there in prison because the gospel, even though he is stuck in prison, the gospel is still expanding. He has opportunity there in prison to proclaim the gospel to the guards and through the guards and the officials that come there. And even through his own testimony, he takes the gospel to Caesar's throne room. And then there are other ministers out there who are emboldened to proclaim the gospel while Paul is in change. Paul cannot be there, but others have taken up the torch of the gospel and who moved forward in their proclamation And so Paul says that even in the midst of struggle, in the midst of difficulty, he can have joy because the promise of the gospel is moving through. And the foundation of our joy is found in that gentleness or depending upon your translation, that reasonableness that is evident to all because God is close. God is near. That word gentleness or reasonableness is a word that is rooted in the original language and the concept of mercy. It's the concept that you can have joy in the midst of difficulty because you have been shown mercy by Jesus. You have been given salvation by God through the work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so if somebody sins against you, you can be joyful and merciful because God has been merciful to you. And so in the difficulty of living life as a persecuted group and also the difficulty of living life in conflict, Paul calls the Philippian Christians, to be joyful. Well, next he calls them to be thankful. And Paul opens this section on his call to thankfulness by a negative command. He says, do not be anxious about anything. Anxiety is something that many of us struggle with. And and we saw in Matthew 6 that, that we are commanded not to worry about the things of this earth. The idea behind this call against anxiety, against against worry, is a worship call. We saw in Matthew 6 that we read earlier, that as Jesus tells them, don't worry about what you're going to wear, don't worry about what you eat, don't worry about your body and your health. It's not just a command to stop worrying, which is oftentimes how we preach it, because that's just the easy thing for me to do is to stand up here and tell you, stop, don't worry. Don't be anxious about anything. But Jesus isn't saying just don't worry. He's saying shift your focus. Because what's the last verse, last couple verses of that passage say in Matthew? It says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Now, food and clothing and health are important things, but are they the most important things in our lives? No, they're not. And oftentimes we get so consumed with those things. How are we going to pay the bills? How are we going to put groceries on the table? How are we going to put gas in the car? How are we going to do this? How are we going to do that? That all of a sudden we get wrapped up in those feelings of how am I gonna? How are you going to do this? How are you going to do that? And and as we get these, as we focus on these feelings, we begin to inwardly focus on how are you going to do it? And we begin to rely upon ourselves. And Jesus and Paul himself here, we'll see in just a couple moments, Jesus says, no, take the focus off yourself. Take the focus off the needs of this earth and put your focus on the growth of the kingdom of God. He teaches them to pray before that. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
And that is where Paul goes when he tells them not to be anxious, not to be worried. How does Paul tell them to move their eyes away from their own difficulties, their own circumstances, and put them on the kingdom of God? Well, it's through thankful prayer. It says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, and everything means everything. Oftentimes you and I think that everything means everything except for this one little thing that I've still got control over. But everything means everything. But everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your request to God. Uh, Pierce Taylor Hibbs uh, wrote a book several years ago. It's called um, Struck Down But Not Destroyed. And it's about his wrestling with chronic clinical anxiety. And he says one of the things that he had to learn over the years, and, and after it's close to 17 years now, he, he still wrestles with this anxiety. He's still on a, a little bit of medication for his anxiety. He says one of the hardest things that he learned, but one of the best things that he learned was in the middle of an, of an anxiety attack was to thank God for the anxiety attack. How many of us thank God for the struggles that we go through? Oh, we are, well... We should be quick to thank God for the times that he answers prayer, the times that he brings us um, joy and happiness and success and prosperity in our lives. But how many of us thank God for the for when the friends betray us? How many of you thank God for the illness that debilitates you for a long period of time? How many of you even pray for those things? Because many times we think, you know, it's just selfish to pray for myself. So I'll forget to pray for me. I'll just pray for other people. But Paul says, no, bring your requests, your petitions to God with thanksgiving. And, and we find as we do that, as we take our focus from this own earthly world and, and turn it more to the kingdom of God and the work that he is doing, we find that God brings us a peace, a peace which transcends or passes all understanding and a, and a peace that keeps or guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. It's not that this is some mystical peace that we can't tell, but it's a peace that oftentimes we don't understand and the world around us does not understand where it comes from in your life. When the world is falling apart and you find a peace in God, the world just doesn't get that because the, the world's idea of dealing with the problems of this life is to, you know, run in circles, scream and shout until everything just goes away. But as we turn our focus through prayer, as we go to God prayerfully and with thanksgiving in the midst of our circumstances, he begins to fill us with a peace. And, and Paul says later on, he fills us with the peace of God because he is a God of peace. One of Paul's favorite names for God. Oftentimes we worry about strife and difficulty in our life. And we, as we worry about it, you and I forget to pray. But Paul reminds us if we focus on God, if we focus on his kingdom through prayer and thanksgiving, that he will bring us a peace, which neither we nor the world oftentimes will understand. So in the midst of difficulty in Christ, he calls us to be joyful. In Christ, he calls us to be thankful. And in Christ, he calls us to be content. Here we have one of the probably one of the most misused Bible verses in Scripture. But he introduces that verse 
by thanking them and rejoicing for a gift that they had sent to him while he was in prison. He has known about their concern of the Philippian Christians for a long time since he had planted the church, but he was grateful that they had finally had an opportunity to show that concern by sending him a care package. And then he says, he said, I appreciate the care package and I'm thankful for it, but you know, I'd have been okay even had you not sent that care care package. He says, I've learned to be content whatever circumstances I find myself in. And he gives two extremes of circumstances. He says, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. And I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry. Paul has been well cared for in the churches that he went to. He has worked with his own hands to provide for himself. And he has been comfortable in life at one point. And then he finds himself in prison. And prison was not the situation that it is today. If you wanted clothing in prison, well, you better have friends and family who are willing to send it to you or carry it to you. Did you want food in prison? Well, you better have friends and family who are willing to send it to you or carry it to you or give you the means to purchase it for yourself. Because once you were in prison, you may not come out during this time. And so Paul has been at the lowest of lows, the highest of highs. And he said, my emotional well-being was not dependent upon that. What does it mean to be content? It means to be satisfied in God, regardless of your circumstance. It means knowing that you are secure in your future because of God, regardless of what your circumstances look like today. If we were to go back to uh, chapter two in Philippians, Paul says, you know, whether I live or whether I die, I am okay because of who I am in Christ. He was content to live because it gave him opportunities to preach and to teach more, to go back and visit the Philippians if he lived so that he could help them through their conflict so that he could explain the, the meat of the gospel to them more. But he said, you know what? I'm content if I die. Whatever God's will is in this, I am okay. I am joyful because if I die, I get heaven. What's the worst thing that can happen to a Christian in this world? You die. What happens if you die? You get God. You get Jesus. It's Part of the point of the series through Revelation that we've been going to, going through is that as, the, as God reveals through Jesus and through John, the, the, the horrors that go on behind the curtain of this world, he reminds the believers, be faithful because all that stuff that happens at the end is yours, even if you die in the midst of your persecution. Paul says, I have entrusted my future to God. And it is secure. So whether I'm in pain, whether I'm suffering, I'm okay because God is sovereign over it. If I am prosperous and comfortable, everything is good because God is sovereign over it. And he says this comes through the strength that comes through Christ who lives in him. I can do all things through him. Literally, it says in the original, I can do all things through him. But we know that the him is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. 
Our strength doesn't come from the things of this world. Our strength comes through this focus on the kingdom of God. And he leads us to contentment. So Paul calls the Philippians Christians. He calls you and I to be joyful, to be thankful, and to be content. So how do we fulfill our call to be joyful, to be thankful, and to be content? We do this by figuring out where our thoughts are focused. In verses 8 and 9, Paul says, it tells us where to focus our thoughts, what to think about. He says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. He, he, he calls us to think about the things of the scripture, to think about the things that he has learned, that he has taught, that they have learned or received from him, that, that, that package of doctrine that he had passed on down to them. We think about doctrine and theology as dull and, and boring pursuits, but the study of the scriptures, the study of good doctrine, the study of good theology cleanses our minds and helps us focus on the things that lead us to joy gratitude and contentment. And he gives us a list. He, he starts off with things that are true. When, when he talks about true, he talks about things that are solid and things that you can rely on. You know, truth does not change based upon how you feel. There are truths in this world that are rooted in God and they will never change. And so we need to think about those true things when we are tempted by the world to think that truth is something that I can determine for myself. When, when we talk about right and wrong, it's not just right and wrong for me. There are things that are right and wrong for the whole world because they're rooted in God. God is true. And so we think about things that are true when the world tempts us to think about falsehoods. He calls us to think about things that are noble. This is literally worthy of respect. Look at things that are worthy. Look at things that are respectful. Look at things that turn your eyes to praise. It, it, we, we look around the world and see it as the temple of God. We see God's power and majesty and might and glory in the things of this world. And we think about those things because they are worthy of respect. Whatever things are right, this word is linked to righteousness. Righteousness is the idea of a right relationship in terms of a duty completed, a duty faced. Humanity has broken its duty to God, but God has kept his obligations to humanity to provide redemption. And so we should think about that righteousness that God has shown toward us so that we could be more righteous toward him in Christ. Next, we are called to think about the things that are pure. This is related to holiness and moral purity. The world will tempt you away from purity, away from holiness, and yet we are called to fix our thoughts on things that are holy. Lovely. This is literally a word that means that which calls forth love, that which moves us to love God and to love others more. One of the, one of the joys of, of being involved in Camp Joy is seeing young men and women as they are, are, are paired up with a special needs camper, give of themselves. Many times they, they give of themselves to the point to where they are exhausted about halfway through the week, and it is only through the grace of God 
and a few well-timed candy bars and sodas that they are able to make it through the rest of the week. And it, it, as you watch them interact, you can see those counselors, Gregory and, and Emily could probably attest to that, but you can see these counselors grow in their love for the camper that they serve for a week. We think about the things which call forth love in our life, that which moves us to love God, to love others more. We're to think about things that are admirable. Admirable talks about our words and our thoughts. Are they fit to be given to God? And then praiseworthy. We are to focus on things that move us to praise God and to praise others. Real simply for a moment, you know, music can greatly affect your attitude. I know I love Spotify. It gives me the world's music at the tips of my fingers, but it's also a danger. As I build playlists on Spotify, lists of songs, I have... As I look over some of my playlists, sometimes they feed emotions. Sometimes they feed emotions well. Sometimes they don't. You have to be very careful when life is difficult what I listen to. Because what I'm tempted to listen to is things that feed my desire for retribution, feed my desire for anger and 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 those types of emotions. But I, I have to, in the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, to force myself to move, to listen to music that evoke love, that speak truth, that give admirable words that I can then pass on to God. We have to be careful what we take in. Because as we take in the right things, the Holy Spirit will grow within us that joy, that gratitude, and that contentment that Paul calls us to. We can only do it through Christ, through the changed heart that Jesus gives us, and through the work of the Holy Spirit. And so as you prayerfully work through verses 8 and 9, as you prayerfully work on focusing on those things, the things that are true, that are lovely, that are noble, that are right, that are pure, that are admirable, that are praiseworthy, As you prayerfully work through this list, you will find yourselves move more and more to focusing on being joyful, thankful, and content. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we do thank you that you have written your laws upon our hearts, that you have removed our heart of stone and given us a heart of flesh so that we might be more like you, so that we might find joy in all of our circumstances, so that we may find peace through thankful prayer, And so that we might uh, express that joy and thankfulness and the contentment that you grow in us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As you go this week, as you seek to be joyful, thankful, and content, take this blessing with you. May your love abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to determine what is best and so that you may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.